Paralegals are highly essential from law firms and courtrooms to insurance, real estate, HR, and more. If a paralegal career or law school is in your future, Stevenson University Online's Bachelor's in Legal Studies will help you achieve your goals affordably with no application fee. 100% online, approved by the American Bar Association with new online sessions starting every eight weeks. Get started today. Visit stevenson.edu slash paralegal. Yeah, it's called Conversations with Jeff, not Screaming Matches. Yeah, I, 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 you and I do not agree on Calvinism. But look how nice we are to each other. I think it's going to really shock a lot of people, thrill a lot of people. A lot of people are going to have to do some soul searching. It's like, you know what? What are you doing? You're spending all your time trying to destroy another Christian because you don't understand what's going on mm-hmm. when you should be out there winning people for Jesus. Right. Thank you for the job you're doing. Thanks for being willing to address these kind of issues. They're vital to the church. I feel sorry for what's coming your way, but God bless you, man. It's it's a good, healthy conversation, and, and let's keep growing together in the Lord. People won't change unless they hear the truth, though. And so we need to know the truth, uh, speak the truth. And then the last one I would say is that we need to stay in the truth, uh, no matter what the consequences are. Hey everybody, welcome to this episode of Conversations with Jeff. Uh, before we get started with today's episode, just wanted to remind you guys about a book that we are currently in pre-order uh, right now. It's going to be coming out in the next couple of weeks called Church and State, How the Left Used the Church to Conquer America. Uh, it's a fascinating book that we put together which, with a bunch of different authors, including uh, Dr. Michael Brown, uh, Denise McAllister, Pastor Greg Locke, uh, Ken Peters, just a, a bunch of awesome, awesome contributors. It's going to be a great resource for you guys to understand what's going on in the church today. Uh, if you guys go to gatekeepersonline.com slash church and state, you guys can use Jeff at checkout uh, for 10% off and a free copy of Pastor Sam Jones' new ebook, uh, Why I'm Pro-Life. So definitely something to check out. Again, gatekeepersonline.com slash church and state. Uh, really excited about uh, about today's guest. Uh, I've been looking forward to this conversation here for a little while. We've got astronomer uh, Hugh Ross. He's the founder and president of Reasons to Believe, an organization dedicated to integrating scientific fact and biblical faith. Books include Why the Universe is the Way It Is, Hidden Treasures in the Book of Job, and Navigating Genesis. Hugh, welcome welcome to the uh, welcome to the podcast, and glad we could sit down and hit, and chat here for a little bit. Well, it's good to be here. Let me hook up my microphone. I forgot to do that. Oh yeah, not 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 a problem at all. And and for ever for everybody else, while while he's getting set up as well, uh, you know, I think the the interesting thing I think about this conversation specifically, and I was telling Hugh this before uh, before he came on, is the majority of you guys that are watching this are typically going to be the, like young Earth creationists, and whereas Hugh is taking a look at uh, at creation from an old an old earth perspective. And so I think that'll be a really interesting conversation today. Very good. Yeah. So, okay. So, so for most people, I feel like a, a lot of people that I talk to, you know, a lot of times they're going, they're going straight down the path of, you know, Ken Ham, the earth is about 6,000 years old. Um, you know, and you know, a lot of times what they're looking at is they're looking at the, uh, at the Bible, the, the genealogy and, and all that kind of stuff. How do you, how do you come to the conclusion that that's not the way to gauge the age of the earth? Yeah. Well, I mean, I was not raised in a Christian home. Uh, I picked up a Gideon Bible at age 17, began to go through it. And, uh, <clears throat> you know, right away I realized these creation days, have to be consecutive long periods of time. And the reason I drew that conclusion, I noticed that each of the creation days uh, has an evening-morning phrase. And it's rather set up in a complex way. Evening was, morning was, day X. And so I expected to see that for all seven days. And uh, you know, I wasn't sure what the original Hebrew meant by evening and morning, but I knew at a minimum it was telling me each day has got a definite start point, and a definite endpoint, 
And then when I got to creation day seven, I noticed there was no evening morning praise. So I said, okay, uh, this is interesting because it's a day when God rests from his creation work. And, you know, I had been a budding scientist since I was seven years of age. And so I was well aware uh, that when you look at the record of nature in the human era, all we see is natural process. But when you look before the human era, we see abundant evidence for miraculous interventions. Stop the hacks. Stop the attacks. Stop the attacks and start taking your IT career to the next level. The Masters in Cybersecurity from Stevenson University Online can keep you one step ahead of the criminals and one step ahead of career advancement. Complete your online degree in as little as 18 months with convenient and affordable classes. Stevenson University Online. Your partner for professional success. Visit stevenson.edu slash cyberwar. Paralegals are highly essential from law firms and courtrooms to insurance, real estate, HR, and more. If a paralegal career or law school is in your future, Stevenson University Online's Bachelor's in Legal Studies will help you achieve your goals affordably with no application fee. 100% online, approved by the American Bar Association with new online sessions starting every eight weeks. Get started today. Visit stevenson.edu slash paralegal. And so this kind of made sense. For six days, God creates. On the seventh day, he stops. And I said, I'm going to read through the rest of the Bible and see what it says about God's seventh day. And I noticed in Psalm 95 and Hebrews 4, it explicitly tells us that we're still in God's uh, rest day. And you also get an implication in John 5, uh, where Jesus makes the point, yeah, my father and I are at rest but we're still active in performing miracles in people's lives, making the point that uh, it's a Sabbath principle. We stop certain things to focus on other things. You know, I tell people the principle of the Sabbath is to stop your busy work and focus on the most important issues of life. And so for six days, God creates in a physical context. On the seventh day, he's bringing humans into a redemptive relationship with himself. And so that began a study on my part of going through the entire Bible and looking at all the creation texts. You know, and part of my story, too, is I didn't pick up the Bible until the end. I was going through the world's holy books, and I noticed how little they had to say about creation. You know, one or two texts, that's it. But with the Bible, you've got a couple of dozen texts. And so, I mean, so I was integrating across them and realized, okay, if you actually look at all the creation texts in the Bible and read them literally and consistently, at least from my interpretive perspective, these days have to be six consecutive long periods of time. And also realize the way you see Genesis 1 to 3 set up, the universe comes first, the earth is later, and then God begins to create life on planet Earth on creation day one. Uh, and, you know, being raised uh, in science since I was seven, uh, I was following the scientific method. And I was naive. I had no idea where the scientific method came from. It was drilled into me every school, every year of education I had, because I was educated in Canada, not here in the U.S. They really stressed the scientific method there. But none of my teachers told me where it came from. It wasn't until I was reading that 38-volume set put up by the Scottish Academic Press uh, that I realized uh, that the scientific method was derived from the Bible. So it explains why Genesis 1, for example, so perfectly follows that scientific method. Uh, and, you know, the key point there me, for me was uh, you, you have to first establish the frame of reference or the point of view. And notice how explicitly that's stated in Genesis 1-2. The Spirit of God is hovering over the surface of the waters of planet Earth. And, uh, you know, years later, I discovered all these scientists that were ridiculing Genesis uh, for how absurd its statements about science were, but they had the wrong point of view. They were assuming the frame of reference was up in the universe with God looking down. The text says, no, the Spirit of God is hovering over the surface of the waters, looking up at the clouds, not down in the clouds, and I looked at the parallel account in Job 38, 
there it was explicit. The reason why it was dark on the surface of the waters, God had blanketed the seas with clouds that kept the seas dark. And so when it says, let there be light, it's God performing a miracle in our atmosphere, not a miracle in the universe. And just from that perspective, I realize everything stated in Genesis 1 is in the correct chronological order and is correctly stated. And that was a huge step in my giving my uh, life to Jesus Christ, which is recognizing this book actually predicts future scientific discoveries. Yeah, and it's interesting taking a look at a lot of these uh, different issues, you know, from a different perspective. Because again, I'm just in my own my own little bubble, my own little circle, you know, to a certain degree, like like a lot of us are. Uh, but but like you were mentioning about like God saying, you know, let there be light, and you're talking about the clouds that that were over the earth and things like that. So are you saying that that essentially the sun was there before God said let there be light, and it was just essentially a parting of the clouds to let the light in? Yes, I mean, you got Genesis 1-1 saying, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And when I saw that at age 17, I says, what are these heavens and earth? So I went through the rest of the Old Testament and realized nowhere do you see a word for universe or cosmos. And so I saw nine texts total that use the phrase the heavens and the earth. And if you look at them all, it's clear it's referring to the totality of physical reality all matter, energy, space, and time. So it's in the beginning that God created energy. Light filled the universe, but it was dark on the surface of the waters of planet Earth because the clouds kept the light out. And what happened on creation day one, let there be light. What I noticed too is it doesn't say that God created the light. It doesn't say that God made the light. He did that in the beginning. Let the light be. So this is when the light that God created in the beginning for the first time penetrated to the surface of planet Earth. And I think to give you an analogy, think of uh, Venus. Venus is an atmosphere 90 times thicker than ours. The only light in the visible part of the spectrum that gets through to the surface is at the extreme red end. No orange light gets through, no yellow light gets through. And Earth began with an atmosphere 200 times thicker than it has today no visible light would have made it to the surface at all. Yeah, that's it's definitely it's definitely interesting. Now, 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 when we're talking specifically about you know, like you were, you were talking about the, the the days or you know specific periods of time, do you have any theory or idea on how much time would have been passing in each of those essentially time periods? Well, if you compare it with a scientific record, the first day is the longest; the last day is the shortest. And, uh, you know, there's nothing in the Hebrew text that requires that these days all be equivalent periods of time. They could be different periods of time. But, yeah, it seems like these creation days get shorter as you move from day one uh, through to day six. And right now we're in day seven. Yeah, that's something else I notice. Uh, that seventh day is not closed out until you get to the book of Revelation. You know, God will create again. There will be a new creation uh, but right now he's resting from his creation work. Interesting. So, so essentially, we we are in 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 that Sabbath day to We're a certain in degree. In that Sabbath day, as it tells us in Romans eight, uh, that the laws of physics will re- be, remain exactly as they are. God's rest will continue until he brings a full number of human beings into a redemptive relationship. That number that he had planned from before he created the universe. So since that number has not yet been reached, we're still in God's seventh day. Yeah, yeah. So, so you know, I, I think I think one of one of the things that um, that ends up happening with a with a lot of people that that were like I'm studying again, like a lot of my creation understanding comes from like the Ken Ham crowd, you know, and things like that. And I feel like a lot of times what what they'll do is they'll take a look at specifically at okay, so the Bible says you know a day and a night that that means twenty a twenty four hour period. Um, but then also they're talking specifically about, you know, how essentially God was speaking everything into existence, right? So what would be the necessity of having these longer periods of time uh, for each of these phases um, if God was just speaking things into existence? Or are you saying that he didn't in that in the same way that like a Ken Ham would say that? Yeah, I mean, Augustine dealt with this 15 centuries ago where he says, you know, God creates instantaneously 
but there's time periods between his miracles, just like there are in human history. He doesn't perform all of his uh, miracles in human history at the same time. They're spread out. But in each case, each one is instantaneous. And, uh, you know, that's true from the young earth perspective as well, because they got the miracles spread out over 144 hours. So they are time separated miracles in both models. Yeah, it's, it's just, you know, one's one separate out for, for quite a long time. So, that, so that what, what was happening during those time periods like why why is there why is there the necessity from a scientific perspective in your opinion for these longer uh, periods of time uh, represented by the days well god not only created the universe to provide a home for us human beings in which we can exist and thrive his goal in creating the universe is that he could use it as an efficient tool to eradicate evil once and for all but that requires certain laws of physics. There's a reason why our universe is governed by gravity, uh, thermodynamics, electromagnetism. Uh, these laws are, are important features in bringing about the rapid, efficient conquest and eradication of evil. And notice, once evil no longer is a factor in God's creation, we go into a new creation where there is no gravity, where there is no electromagnetism, there's no thermodynamics. There's no death, there's no decay. Uh, so in the context of uh, if you've got a universe with these laws of physics, how much time do you need to prepare a home where human beings can not only exist, but come up to a population level of the billions, where billions of us can hear and respond to the gospel message and be redeemed? And I wrote about this in a book called Why the Universe is the Way It Is. It's a book I wrote for non-Christian skeptics basically saying the mistake you're making, you think God had only one purpose in creating the universe the way he did. He's actually got over a dozen uh, distinct purposes. And we take that all into account. We understand why uh, we have to have this pervasive law of decay existing for several billions of years. Paralegals are highly essential from law firms and courtrooms to insurance, real estate, HR, and more. If a paralegal career or law school is in your future, Stevenson University Online's Bachelor's in Legal Studies will help you achieve your goals affordably with no application fee. 100% online, approved by the American Bar Association with new online sessions starting every eight weeks. Get started today. Visit stevenson.edu slash Paralegal. Bank of Clark County is making it easy to give to local charities. We're featuring a different one at each of our Bank of Clark County locations. To find out how you can support their good work, visit our website at www.bankofclark.bank or follow us on our social media channels and the hashtag GiveWithBOCC. Happy holidays from all of us at Bank of Clark County. Member FDIC. This holiday season, pay tribute to the people who fought for our freedom to celebrate. Featuring the largest American flag in the region, Spirit Park is now open at National Harbor, honoring active duty military and veterans. Take some time this holiday to remember, offer gratitude, and be inspired by the sacrifices of our service men and women who make our way of life possible. Plan your visit at nationalharbor.com slash spiritpark. That's nationalharbor.com slash spiritpark. It's crucial uh, to bring about this efficient conquest of evil. And basically what God is doing, he's using those billions of years to provide us with all the biodeposits we need to develop this civilization and the technology to quickly take the good news of salvation through Jesus Christ to all the people groups of the world where we're dealing with billions of human beings. Because God wanted to redeem a large number, not just a small number, and he wanted to do it fairly quickly. And so uh, the advantage for us is, yeah, God took 14 billion years to set everything up for us, but he eliminates evil in just thousands of years. And so I'm young earth in the context of the eradication of evil and just realizing God makes it possible for us to be exposed for only a brief time to this evil and suffering because he designed the universe the way he did. Yeah, yeah. Now, I think I think a concern that a lot a lot of let's say young Earthers would have, and I would probably include myself in this too, to a certain degree, is is I, th I think one of the things that we're taught oftentimes is that 
uh, you know, death came because of the fall, right? And so if, if the earth has been around for billions of years pre Adam and Eve's sin, at what point did, did death begin? Because you're talking about, you know, uh, essentially setting up the entire earth and animals would be, theoretically be dying and plants and like all that kind of stuff. How does that all play into this? Well, when you look at the book of Romans, that's the most detailed book in the Bible uh, re- referring to human death. Notice he addresses four distinct kinds of death. You've got death to the law, death to sin. You've got physical death. You've got spiritual death. And in Gen- uh, Genesis chapter 2, God warned Adam, in the day that you eat of this forbidden fruit, you will die. Now, he didn't die physically, but he immediately died spiritually. And likewise, when you go to Romans 5, uh, and, you know, it tells us death through sin was visited upon all human beings, all people. Now, of all the species of life on planet Earth, only one is capable of experiencing sin. That's us human beings. And then notice how careful Paul is to say death to all people. He does not say death to all life. And so nowhere in the Bible is there any exclusion of death of plants and animals, only death of human beings. And basically what happened when Adam uh, did rebel against God for the first time, he brought death to the human species. But previous to that, there was death going on in the plant and animal kingdom. And the text tells us that Adam and Eve were eating before they sinned. Uh, When you eat, something dies. Uh, So at least in the uh, uh, plant kingdom, uh, you've got death going on uh, before that. And I notice in the Bible, it uses the same words, same original Hebrew words, for the death of animals, human beings, and of plants. It doesn't make a distinction. So, so, so then what you're saying is that, is that, uh, death was happening before. So theoretically, animals would have been killing animals, eating each other, you know, things like that. The only, the only death that was new post fall would have been for humans. Correct. Okay. Yeah. And given that the Bible says that the laws of physics, are constant. They have not changed. And so from the very moment that God created the universe, we have these laws of physics. The Bible says that repeatedly. And as an astronomer, uh, we've actually made measurements of the laws of physics in distant stars and galaxies. And it takes time for the light to reach our telescope. So we're actually measuring the laws of physics all the way back towards the creation event. And our measurements tell us no change in the laws of physics. Uh, they're constant, literally, to 16 to 18 places of decimal. In fact, I use that as evidence that the Bible got a scientific prediction correct. The Bible tells us the laws of physics don't change. We make measurements, and indeed we see no change uh, in these uh, laws of physics. But if you've got a universe uh, that's subject to a pervasive law of decay, as it tells us in Romans chapter 8, uh, you're going to have plants dying, you're going to have animals dying. The only way out is if you have access to the tree of life. And notice the moment that Adam and Eve sinned, God blocked access to that tree of life. That to me is interesting. They were in a spiritually dead state, but they had the potential to live forever physically. But if that had happened, then God would have had to treat us human beings the same way he treated the fallen angels. Notice the fallen angels don't have a pathway for redemption. And to me, that's the message of Romans, is that God is using the tool of physical death to redeem us from a far worse consequence of spiritual death. And so in that sense, I look at physical death as a gift. You know, and that's where I have a debate with my younger friends. They think physical death is an evil and that God would never do it. Uh, but when you look at the message of the New Testament, the only way to live is to die. And God's own son had to die so that we can live uh, forever with him in a spiritual state uh, and also in a physical state. So, uh, you know, and I'm a pastor as well as a scientist. I keep telling people, you know, we need to have a different view of death, a biblical view of physical death. And we need to see it as something that God gave us as a gift rather than something that's some horror that was put upon us. 
Yeah, it, it's definitely an interesting way way to look at it too, because because I, I think that I think that that's one of those things where, especially as believers and as Christians, when we are looking at death, uh, you know, that is supposed to be something that we're looking towards because that's when we're reunited with Christ and get to spend eternity with Him. Uh, you know, whereas you know, for the secular world, death represents com- something completely different, which again brings everything back to the gospel. It does, and I like Paul's analogy. He looks at our physical life here on Earth as a race and uh, you know if you're running a race and uh, you're the winner you're going to be completely exhausted when you cross that finish line uh, but when you cross that finish line there's a huge celebration and likewise as we christians finish our life here on earth we're going to finish it completely drained physically but we get to graduate uh, into the new you know uh, the heavenly realm with god and all the saints that have preceded us i mean it's going to be a huge celebration when we cross that finish line. Yeah. Now, now, now dealing specifically with, you know, again, like creation and all that kind of stuff does, how does all this play into, uh, evolution? Because, because I feel like a, a lot of the accusations that are made by young earth is that essentially anybody who doesn't believe in young earth is, is believing in evolution. You know, some people would say that's good, bad, whatever it is from your perspective. How does, how does evolution play into all of this? Well, you know, I was not raised in a Christian home. And, uh, you know, my parents were getting worried because I was spending all my time reading books on astronomy and physics. They tried to broaden me. So when I was about 10 and a half, they bought our family this big, thick book on evolutionary biology. I was the only one in the family that read it. But I told my parents, uh, the numbers don't add up. Uh, this evolution isn't going to work. Uh, you know, when you just look at the population statistics for the different species of life, uh, what happens over uh, with them with respect to time. And the bottom line is billions of years is woefully inadequate. I had a debate with this with Dwayne Gish decades ago. He was a vice president of the Institute for Creation Research. But that's the one point we agreed upon. If the universe is less than 14 billion years old, there's no way you can explain the origin of life from a naturalistic perspective or the history of life. And so evolution... Uh, is basically irrelevant uh, to this debate of old Earth, young Earth. Uh, if you want to sustain naturalistic evolution, uh, you're going to need more than 10 to the 100 years. 10 to the 10 years is of no value. I tell my young Earth friends, you know, what separates us is only six zeros. What separates both of us from the naturalists is hundreds of thousands of zeros. So why should we let six zeros get between us and Christian fellowship? Yeah. Now, now, so, so what would be, is there anything in your perspective that's dangerous about the understanding of, of young earth? Cause, cause, you know, one, cause from the young earth perspective, I've heard a lot of people say it's dangerous because now we, to believe in old earth because it's, it's undermining the understanding of the book of Genesis. Uh, there's, again, a lot of times they'll tie in evolution into that, but you kind of cleared that up a little bit. But from your perspective going the other way, is there anything dangerous from a theological perspective about young earth theology? Yeah, I think what young earth creationists are most concerned about is the origin of human beings. And this is where we agree with them, that God created Adam and Eve relatively recently by special creation, not by evolution. Yes, we got bipedal primates that preceded us, but their population levels were very low. Uh, and we got field experiments to tell us if you've got a mammal species that's bigger than three kilograms adult body size, it goes extinct before it can evolve. And I actually see a very good reason why God created these bipedal primates. He knew that we human beings would rebel and sin. And in our sin, we would be in danger of wiping out the very animals that he mentions in Job 38 and 39 that he explicitly designed so we could launch civilization. We wouldn't have civilization if we didn't have horses, if we didn't have goats and donkeys and sheep and cows. And they're all mentioned there in the book of Job. What's interesting is when human beings migrated to those continents where there were no bipedal primates that preceded human beings, they wiped out the animals they needed for civilization. When they came into Australia, for example, they wiped out 94% of the large-bodied bird and mammal species. And hence, the aborigines there never were able to launch civilization. Whereas in Africa, for example, the extinction rate was only 4.5%. 
And so it was possible for the people there to domesticate those animals and launch civilization, likewise in Europe uh, and in Asia. Uh, but your question was really was, uh, what do I see as the danger in, say, a young earth perspective? Yeah. Okay. To me, the big danger is biblical inerrancy. Uh, you know, as a president of reasons to believe, I've studied the statements of the International Council of Biblical Inerrancy. Uh, you know, as you're probably aware, there was a council that spent 10 years, 300 theologians spent 10 years defining what biblical inerrancy is, what it is not, and how it can be defended. They wound up writing 2,000 pages of commentary to support their affirmations and denials. Anyone who's interested, they're posted, archived online at Dallas Theological Seminary. As the president, I require all of our staff uh, to sign on to those International Council Biblical Inerrancy Statements on an annual basis. That's something that we, that's a principle we hold to. What I find interesting is a couple of years ago, I was one of four authors uh, in a four views book, four views on uh, creation, evolution, and intelligent design. Now, the four authors, we were basically the presidents of the four leading science faith organizations in the Christian community, but I was the only one that was willing to endorse the affirmations and denials of the International Council of Biblical Inerrancy. You know, my big concern is the same as that of the theologian Gleason Archer. If you take a younger view of the Bible, it's not possible to defend biblical inerrancy. It is if you focus just on one or two texts. But if you actually look at all 66 books of the Bible, uh, at least from my perspective, I see no way to defend biblical inerrancy if you insist that the earth and the universe are less than 10,000 years old at the creation days or six consecutive 24-hour periods. So that's my big concern. Yeah. Now, 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 do you have any examples of of where this would lead into an issue when when we're when you're looking at the rest of Scripture uh, dealing with inerrancy and a young Earth and all that kind of stuff? Paralegals are highly essential from law firms and courtrooms to insurance, real estate, HR, and more. If a paralegal career or law school is in your future, Stevenson University Online's Bachelor's in Legal Studies will help you achieve your goals affordably with no application fee. 100% online, approved by the American Bar Association with new online sessions starting every eight weeks. Get started today. Visit stevenson.edu slash paralegal. Bank of Clark County is making it easy to give to local charities. We're featuring a different one at each of our Bank of Clark County locations. To find out how you can support their good work, visit our website at www.bankofclark.bank or follow us on our social media channels and the hashtag GiveWithBOCC. Happy Holidays from all of us at Bank of Clark County. Member FDIC. The holidays are a moment of togetherness and joy and a reminder of how tradition creates happy and fulfilled communities. Make this holiday season patriotic with a visit to National Harbor and its stunning new Spirit Park. Marvel at one of the largest American flags in the region and beautiful displays of American art. Make this holiday season the most meaningful of all at National Harbor. Learn more at nationalharbor.com dash spirit park. Well, I do. Uh, for example, uh, the fact that we're in the seventh day and there's biblical texts that tell us the seventh day continues. That means day seven is a long period of time. Although my young earth friends say, well, maybe the first six days are short and the seventh day is long. Uh, but if you look at Genesis chapter one, it tells us that God created both the human male and the human female on the sixth day. When you go to Genesis chapter two, we got Adam created first and Eve later. And if you actually look at the chronology of Genesis 2, Adam does a lot of things before Eve shows up. I mean, uh, he basically gets introduced to the physical, uh, you know, the plant of, of the garden. God says, tend the garden. He gets to work the garden, I think, long enough to realize there's got to be more to life than gardening. Uh, then God says, I want you to name all the soulish animals here in the garden. And this is where Adam makes a discovery that we see brought up more fully in the book of Job. These animals were designed by God 
to form relationships with us human beings and to serve and please us each in their own distinct way. And God basically told Adam, I want you to examine these animals and give them an appropriate name. I think what he was saying is name them according to how I designed them to serve and please you. But then we see in the text that God said, this guy is lonely. And, uh, you know, we need to create an appropriate help helper for him. Because all these different animals that are designed to relate to them, none of them are spiritual. And so there was something missing in those relationships. And uh, then God uh, puts Adam to sleep, performs surgery on him. And, uh, you know, we get this new creature, Eve, uh, as a component of that surgery. And uh, when Adam wakes up from his, uh, uh, you know, anesthesia, he sees Eve. And what do we see in the original Hebrew? He says the word hapa'am. And that's used about 20 times in the Old Testament and consistently translated at long last. So I'm arguing based on Genesis chapter 2, day 6 has got to be a whole lot longer than 24 hours. And if that's the case, the grammatical structure in Genesis 1 tells us all these days are long periods of time. And moreover, uh, my friends who are, who are fluent in biblical Hebrew uh, with doctoral degrees, they tell me, when you look at Genesis 1, 1, 1, 2, and 1, 3, the order of the verbs and the way the verbs and the sentences are structured tells us there's a passage of time between the creation of the universe and what we see in Genesis 1, 2, and a passage of time between Genesis 1, 2, and 1, 3. It doesn't tell us how much time, but there is a passage of time. And so I argue with my young earth friends, if you want to hold these days as 24 hours, you can still have the earth and universe billions of years old based on Genesis 1-1 through uh, to 1-3. And I think it's important, too, to realize, you know, this age issue is not in any of the creeds. You know, I'm passionate about the creeds of the church because I think, you know, Christians long before us did a really good job of going through the Old and New Testament and picking out those doctrines that are clearly stated and really crucial for us to come into a relationship with the creator of the universe. But they also make sure that they don't deal with the peripheral issues. They focus on the fundamentals, the basics. And in none of the creeds do we see any reference to the age of the earth. And therefore, I tell people, if it's not in the creeds, we shouldn't be fighting over this as Christians. This should be an area of fun discussion and debate, not one where there's rancor and acrimony. And you and I both know there's a lot of acrimony among Christians when it comes to the age of the earth. Oh yeah. And, well, yeah. He, well, and I and I think too, like like there's there's a lot there's a lot of division in within Christianity just over a lot over a lot of theological issues. Obviously, some warrants division others don't but i think but i think in general i think i think it's important that we are talking to people that we disagree with because because like for me it's like i i want to pick somebody's brain and find out why they believe what they believe if we disagree and see do i need to reevaluate my position well moreover we got in second corinthians 5 that god has called all of us to be ambassadors uh to bring people who are not at peace with god into peace with god and I keep reminding my Christian friends, look, non-Christians watch how we engage one another. And if they see that we're engaging one another without a spirit of charity, they want nothing to do with us. So, And what we see in the writings of the Apostle Paul is that it's important that there's divisions amongst us. Because after all, there's all kinds of non-essentials in the Bible. I mean, this is what's remarkable about Christianity. We tolerate quite a bit of diversity amongst our denominations. And I see in both Paul's writings and Peter's writings, this is a healthy thing uh, because God is giving us a free market to discuss these ideas. It's a way we can grow in our theology and Christian faith. That's why we have seminaries. Seminaries are a place uh, where you know experts in the Bible and the original languages can debate and disagree with one another. And I would argue theology today uh, is in a much better place than it was, say, a thousand years ago or 1,500 years ago. We are making progress, but we're making progress because we have this free market exchange of ideas on the non-essentials of the Christian faith. And so just for the very purpose of evangelism, I think it's crucial 
we get the acrimony out of this debate and begin to treat one another in a charitable way. Yeah, no, absolutely. I'm 100% in agreement with you. Now, I want to kind of shift a little bit uh, really quick because right now we've been talking a lot, you know, comparison between young Earth versus old Earth and all that kind of stuff. But I wanted to quickly do a comparison between uh, just intelligent design, you know, God creating the Earth versus the secular view of the origins. How how do how how are Christians supposed to talk to non-Christians about this about even just the fact that there is a creator? Well, the way we do it at reasons to believe is that uh, we take a testable model approach. So we've built a biblical creation model and uh we make the point, hey, no model is complete. We humans don't know everything. Uh and the way we engage people who are not believers is we say, here's our model. Here are the competing models that are out there. Let's see which model offers the most comprehensive explanation of the record of nature and which one is demonstrating the greatest success in predicting future scientific discoveries. I mean, that's how the scientific enterprise operates. So let's build our presentation engagement of non-Christians in that context. And so that's what we do in our books, is we basically show you in view of the latest scientific discoveries, how well our biblical creation model is doing compared to the various uh, secular non-theistic models that are out there. And we actually take this on university campuses. Uh, so we'll go on a university campus and say, look, what we're going to do, we'll give a public lecture where we'll quickly uh, review our biblical creation model and then we want four or five of you professors to sit on a panel and critique our model after we're done. And what I notice is science professors love to critique. So it's just fairly easy to recruit them to actually sit on a panel, uh, listen to what we've got to say, and then offer their critique and then open it up to the audience as a whole. And we recorded a number of those so people can see how it goes. What's really interesting is that uh, with rare exceptions, they offer no scientific critique. They recognize that what we're presenting is valid scientific data and that it supports our model. Uh, they basically get into the philosophy of science and we wind up discussing the various nuances of the scientific method. But what I notice is the audience, uh, the lay audience, the students and other professors in the audience realize they were invited to give a scientific critique and they really didn't offer anything. Yeah, you know, and I think it's one of I think it's one of the things too that I, again, I grew up in a very kind of like fundamentalist, legalistic, you know, household when it comes to like Christianity and things like that. And one of the things was that you know I was always taught like presuppositional apologetics. We don't we don't need to study the sciences. We don't need to study archaeology and like all this kind of stuff. We just have to go straight to you know scripture. And but as I've been talking with you know people that do science. I've had Dr. Cal Beisner on my show several times and different things like that. And one of the things that I think that we as Christians need to embrace is science and the scientific method and, and all of that because of the fact if what we believe is true, then the science should back it up uh, because it, it exposes and shows us what is true. And I think that that's something that as Christians, we need to understand and embrace as well. Well, I, I would argue it's a biblical mandate. Uh, you know, the Bible tells us that God's revealed himself through two books, the book of nature and the book of scripture. And so our evangelistic strategy is to use God's revelation, the book of nature, to bring people to the book of scripture and bring them to the gospel message. I mean, a lot of Christians think you can jump straight to the resurrection. My experience is most American non-Christians, they're not ready for a dialogue on the resurrection, but they are ready for a dialogue on whether or not there's scientific evidence in the galaxies of the universe that there's a God behind the universe. They will talk about that. And it's a, it's a principle you see in the book of Acts. When Paul went into Athens, he engaged the philosophers about the latest ideas. And that's the value of the book of nature. Every day there are new scientific discoveries. And we see in the Psalms and Job is the more we learn about nature, the more evidence we'll uncover for the supernatural handiwork of God. And so that's our mission, is to show people by surveying the latest scientific literature that literally every day there's new reasons to believe in Jesus Christ as creator, Lord, and Savior. And that's the wonder of being in the 21st century. 
the book of nature is exploding in terms of its growth of new knowledge and understanding. And I'm passionate that we Christians need to exploit that uh, to bring people the good news of salvation uh, through Jesus Christ. Yeah, absolutely. And I think one final question, too, that I wanted to ask is as as we're kind of going through this, I feel like a lot of times when these debates happen, and it could be between, you know, let's say like a non-Christian and a Christian, right? Oftentimes we get so wrapped up in the details and we get so wrapped up in the debate over creation versus evolution or whatever that might be. How do we how do we make that turn from talking science to the gospel? Because it's like, you know, we can keep pointing to the scientific method and the science and, you know, creation and, you know, billions of years versus thousands of years or evolution versus creation and all that kind of stuff. But how do we make that turn and actually take it from just a strictly apologetics conversation to a gospel conversation? That's a very good question. Very much on my heart. You know, we can go to the, uh, the beginning of the universe. And that's a remarkable thing. In astronomy, we're looking back in time, and we're seeing what the universe was like in the past. And it's a direct, it's not inference, it's a direct observation. Although there's a downside, we don't see the present, we only see the past. However, our telescopes can now look all the way back to the moment of creation itself. We can watch the universe being created. And this is what tells us there has to be a God beyond space and time that created the universe. And so I point people to that observational evidence, to the space-time theorems based on the theory of general relativity, that there has to be a causal agent beyond space and time that created space and time. That establishes deism, that there has to be a God behind the universe. And incidentally, most research scientists are not atheists, they're deists. They recognize, because the evidence is so compelling, there has to be some creative agent outside the universe. But the big stumbling block is getting them to theism. Is this deistic God also a personal being? And this is where the fine-tuning argument is very powerful. And so in our books, we talk about how every component of the universe, Earth and Earth's life, and every historical event in the universe, Earth and Earth's life, plays some critical role in making possible the redemption of billions of human beings. And when you look at the degree of fine-tuning to make that possible, you realize this causal agent beyond space and time has to be a minimum of 10 to the 100 times more intelligent, uh, more knowledgeable, uh, more creative and loving than we human beings. And so that eliminates the god of Hinduism or the god of Islam and really targets the god of Christianity, the personal being Christian, because only a personal being can manifest intelligence knowledge, creativity, uh, power, and love. But then you want to get to Jesus Christ as the Redeemer. And that's where I make the point, the fine-tuning goes up exponentially from creating a home where we human beings can exist to creating a home where billions of us can be redeemed from our sin and evil. And this actually makes the bridge all the way to the fact the Creator himself is the one who intends to redeem us sinful human beings uh, from our state and enter into a non-sinful eternal relationship with him. So, yeah, using the book of nature, you can draw people all the way to that and basically say in the book of scripture, we not only have scientific accuracy and scientific predictability. Over 300 times the Bible predicts future scientific discoveries. Every single time it gets it right. However, that's a minor part of the Bible's intent. The major intent is to show us how we can come into an eternal, loving, redeemed relationship with our Creator. So that's why I motivate these scientists and skeptics and engineers to say, you need to look at the book and see what it got to say, because there's going to come a day when this life will be over. And that's what's been remarkable, is I've been engaging leading scientists. A lot of them never thought about the fact, or considered the fact, that their life is going to end here. Uh, they're literally so captivated by their scientific research, they don't take the time to think about uh, what I referred to earlier, the most important issues of life. 
Yeah, and I, th- and I think that that's something that I think is really important for just us as Christians to remember as well, is a lot of times we can have these theological debates or, you know, discussing, you know, creation, how old the earth is and all that kind of stuff, but we really, we got to get back to the gospel too. We, everything needs to point back to the gospel. We can't get so hung up on, on all of this that, again, we create the unnecessary division and we lose sight of the big picture. And I think that that's something really important I think we need to all remember. I totally agree. And I think it's crucial we take an evangelistic hermeneutic to the Bible to interpret the Bible in the context of God's intent to bring people into relationship with himself. And so if my interpretation of the Bible gets in the way of bringing people to faith in Christ, that's probably a hint that I've misinterpreted that particular text and basically go back and put it again into a missions evangelistic perspective. Ah. I believe the book of the Bible is written with that intent. Oh yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So, so okay. So, if people want to either follow you, get more information on some of the stuff you were talking about, or that sort of thing, what's the best way for them to do that? Well, uh, they can get free chapters of my books at reasons.org/ross. Uh, they can go to reasons.org, and they'll be introduced to thousands of articles that we've written in the books by other scholars on our staff. And then we have a twenty-four-seven YouTube channel, so if they go to YouTube. Uh, reasons to believe and there they can watch debates uh, all the debates that uh, we've done uh, with atheist scientists but you can also see some interesting debates that i've done uh, with younger creationist leaders so that's all there Okay, definitely. Yeah, I highly encourage everybody to do that. Again, you know, whether you agree or disagree or whatever it is, it's always important to study. And, you know, like I always say, reevaluate your position. See, does it line up with Scripture? Does it make sense? And all of that. And it's just important to continue to study and push yourself and stretch yourself and then come back and then reevaluate. I think that that's what we need. We need more of within Christianity. I, I really appreciate you coming on. It was a lot of fun kind of picking your brain and sitting down here and talking through a lot of this kind of stuff. Definitely have to have you back on sometime. I'll be happy to go back on because, uh, yeah, you really handled your the interview well. I really enjoyed the questions you asked. You're asking the right questions. I, I, I really I really appreciate that. And then uh, everybody else as well, thanks so much for tuning in. Uh, just a reminder as well, uh, for more information what we're doing here, go to gatekeepersonline.com. If you guys would like to support us, the one way that you guys can is go to, you can go to gatekeepersonline.com slash plugged in. Uh, it's our monthly membership. You get access to our Destroy Social Justice Conference, uh, 30% off in our uh, bookstore, our weekly devotional, a bunch of different perks like that. Definitely something you guys just should check out. And then, uh, again, thanks so much for tuning in and we will see you guys next time. Bank of Clark County is making it easy to give to local charities. We're featuring a different one at each of our Bank of Clark County locations. To find out how you can support their good work, visit our website at www.bankofclark.bank or follow us on our social media channels and the hashtag GiveWithBOCC. Happy Holidays from all of us at Bank of Clark County. Member FDIC. This holiday season, pay tribute to the people who fought for our freedom to celebrate. Featuring the largest American flag in the region, Spirit Park is now open at National Harbor, honoring active duty military and veterans. Take some time this holiday to remember, offer gratitude, and be inspired by the sacrifices of our service men and women who make our way of life possible. Plan your visit at nationalharbor.com slash spiritpark. That's nationalharbor.com slash spiritpark.